Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello and welcome to Girl on Fire podcast on the Believe Network, New York's number one podcast network for personal growth. Hey everyone, it's me, Kirsten Franklin, and I'm super excited to be able to bring you this offer. Uh, As many of you know, I've spent the last 10 years studying human behavior, the psychology of high performers, writing, coaching, training, right? Literally at the top levels on topics such as motivation, focus, productivity, confidence, overcoming fears, leadership, and so much more. I was really inspired by my own personal journey. As some of you might know, I went from being a homeless single parent, turned into a parent overworking, right? 16-hour days plus weekends and really turning it all around in about two months and working a four-hour day, no weekends, really learning how to build a profitable business that doesn't require me to be in it every day, and it was really incredible. The change was amazing. I was able to help you know, more people while making more money and yet having more time, more than enough time to spend with friends and family and do what I wanted. Um, and my goal is to really help you do the same. I don't just teach you what worked for me, but what's worked for hundreds of my clients. And I'm opening up right now my weekly coaching group to all of you. Now, this is only for the people here in either Thrive Tribe or who follow my podcast. Okay. Um, The seats are limited. I only have 50 seats open. That's between both groups. So once they're full, they're full. And that's not a marketing ploy. I'm just letting you know ahead of time so that you can make your decision from your highest and best self what's right for you. Okay. Right now, I'm only charging $150 per month. Google. It's unheard of. Nowhere will you get four hourly or more sessions a month for $150 total, okay? Most of the lowest end coaches charge $150 an hour, okay? You guys know I don't play in that space. I charge $3,000 an hour. So if you are wanting to work with me and you have always felt like you couldn't afford it, this is your chance. And it will likely move quickly because again, there's only 50 seats in there, okay? So if you wanna go to another level in your personal development, your business, your life this month, Be sure to join me live weekly in my coaching program. And again, this is live and it's weekly, right? This is not something where you're going to go buy a video, stare at it, and maybe take action. This is live and it's weekly and it's small group so that you get your opportunity to be heard and have your your questions answered, okay? And I know you know that expert guidance, real consistency, and inspiring community are critical to your growth. So this is your chance to work with me live every week. And because you're a part of this group, you're getting it at a fraction of the cost. If you're part of the group or you're following the podcast, all right? And you know, if you're really looking to enter 2021 as that 2.0 version of yourself, right? That kick butt, unfuckwithable version of you and your business, right? Then it's time to level up. Take back your year. Take back your business. Take back your life. Find that focus. Gain that confidence. Get that high level of productivity set in there and really feel what it feels like to live a high vibrational life. Go to the link below and let me be your coach and I would be super excited to see you on the inside. 
All right, guys, my next guest is known as the Purple Tiger. They've been racing triathlons for over a decade. They are a three-time Ironman champion, the 70.3, otherwise known as the half, and are a two-time Ironman bike course record holder. Uh, They've also been called, probably annoyingly so at this point in time, the most interesting person in triathlons by TRS Radio. I had to throw it out there. It was part of the thing that we found in our research. But hailing from Vancouver, British Columbia, please welcome Rach McBride. Welcome, Rach. Hi, thanks for having me. It's awesome to be on your podcast. This is awesome. I love it. So, So, Rach, take me back. All right, here you are. It's your 25, 28, something like that. You have multiple master's degrees, like in genetics, right? Um, yep. You're an accomplished cellist. You've traveled around the world. In fact, you even were here playing in the U.S. Uh, before. And you, you know, you live out in Vancouver. And what makes one decide to just, hey, man, like I'm going to do a triathlon? <laughs> How'd that come about? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. I um so I was actually living in Ottawa in our nation's capital and I was like I was doing my first masters at the time and just like was not happy with life and decided I needed to do something totally epic and was like okay I'm going to run a marathon and so that I was 25 at the time and I trained for my first marathon and uh ended up qualifying for Boston in that first marathon. Wow. And so it was like, okay, maybe I have some talent in this like sports thing. Cause I hadn't done any athletics since I was, I quit everything when I was 15, basically. Oh, um, so my daughter has hope. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and like after I ran Boston, the folks that I had been this running community that I was in, a bunch of them were triathletes and one of my mentors was like, you know what? I think you could be an elite triathlete. And I was like, for some reason I really like attached to that and was like, all right, I'm going to do it. And so I started training really hard and I was very serious and I had a really great work ethic and I moved out to Vancouver where it was a lot more temperate um, climate. And I did my first race and just like absolutely loved it. I had an absolute blast and the rest is history. It took over my life and I kind of like, you know, I did end up having a talent in it. And so my, my, um, you know, in the first three years I was, you know, thinking about going to the Olympics, um, but was already 28, 29. So, um, that didn't really, um, I was like, okay, maybe I'm too old and I didn't have a swim that was fast enough, but. So, is there an age uh, yeah. cutoff at the Olympics? I know there is for like riding no. and some other things, but there's not like an age cutoff, right? No, no. I mean, there's not like an official age cutoff, but there's definitely like, you know, like national teams are probably not going to want to invest in someone <laughs> who is older, right, who, may, right. who may only be in for like one Olympic cycle, if that kind of <laughs> Just thing. to have some yeah. fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so now there you are, you're a pro athlete, you're older than others, like probably about like 10, 10 years, pretty much older than maybe like the standard entrant, right? 18, 20 is pretty much standard. Right. Yep. Um, and so when you started, were you, were you sort of like mentally conscious of that? Did you just go for it? Did you feel like other people noticed you and were like, dude, 
you're a little old for this. Like anything like that going on? Like, I don't know how triathlons work. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you know, I wasn't super conscious of it because you know what I saw there was um, someone on the Canadian national team, Car- Carolyn Murray, who was, she at the time uh, would have been like 31 when she went to the Olympics. And I was like, Oh my goodness, this is incredible. Like this is somebody who's just a little bit older than I am and they're going to the Olympics. So it didn't, I didn't feel out of place. Um, and I've always felt super young at heart. Uh, like I feel, even though I'm in my forties now, like I still feel like I'm in my twenties and I'm never going to grow up. Um, but, um, the only time that I felt a little bit awkward and old is when I actually went to a, a training camp down in Arizona with our junior nationals, national team. And so it <laughs> okay. was like all these 18 year olds. And I was like, I felt like mom because some of these kids had like never been, you know, away from their parents before. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't know how to cook pasta, these sorts of things. So (laughs) that was like the only time I felt like, oh gosh, I'm maybe a little bit older than most (laughs) in this. Oh my God, that's really funny. Um, All right, but actually you have actually something else that kind of distinguishes you. Um, how, How do I, how do I put this? You have something else that might distinguish you or might make you, hmm. That's interesting. How am I, how am I going to say this? This is so funny. Well, you have something else that I would say would distinguish you, but I don't think it's really like you might see it as a distinguished as distinction, but I think this day and age, and I guess because I come from New York city, um, it's kind of like, I don't know. It's every day. <laughs> like I don't even think about it, but you actually identify as non-binary. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Correct. Right, so tell, yeah. yeah. So tell our audience a little bit about, you know, how you define that. And I don't mean in your super science, like fancy brain, just lay terms. <laughs> how would you define non-binary? So, um, you know, I see gender as a spectrum. Um, and, and so for me, non-binary is, I don't necessarily identify as like girl or woman. I don't identify as man or boy. I feel like I'm somewhere in between. And, um, and I mean, that's really the simple answer. Um, and so it's really non-binary for me is, um, recognition that there are identities outside of those like you know black and white boxes um yeah it's funny you say that black and white boxes and it's funny because when I was um setting up to interview you right I'm talking to my daughter she's 12 and I was just like it's like a human psychology kind of thing I was like why do we even, why do we even bother making this label? Like it, like it doesn't really matter. Right. And I've mm-hmm. just always had my life. And this is actually my own belief is that we're just sort of energy in a physical manifestation. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. you know, and for our human brains, we like to classify that as masculine or feminine energy. It doesn't really matter your energy. We mm-hmm. actually have both. If you want to consider that, like you were saying a spectrum, like you can go mm-hmm. from this side to this side of energy within your own body, no matter what the gender is. And I was asking her, I was kind of like, well, why do we even bother with the box? Like well, we have to check a box, right? Just like, you know, I'm Asian, but I'm American. But when I fill out forms, they want me to write Asian. But I'm like, <laughs> how many damn generations of us have to be in this country before we no longer check that box? It's a really unique right. thing here in America, right? So she yeah. was telling me, though, because I, I was telling her how once we create the definition down the road, it becomes our trap, right? Mm-hmm. And she was mm-hmm. saying, she's so smart. God, these kids today. She's like, yes, but if you don't 
create the definition, then how do you have the conversation so that ultimately there isn't anything that, you know, how do you bring that to conversation? And I was just like, damn, that's good. Like you have to use an identifier to be able to have this conversation and bring it to light. And then, you know, so I was just like, oh, okay. So we <laughs> like, it was just, they're so smart. I was just like, because I'm sitting here, like, I guess, you know, wondering like, why do I have to check a box? Why do I have to do this? And I understand like, there's a certain point in time where we have to define it recognize it so we can kind of eliminate it like women in the workforce, right? Like black lives matter. Like if we're not there and we're not open and we're not equal and we haven't had the hard conversations yet so that we could all be understanding, I get it. Right. But you you realize like after a while, it's almost, it's almost like the trap. Like once you get to that point, it's kind of like, okay, now you're still identifying me as a woman, even though we still have to right now, but in the future down the line, it's kind of like, okay, well now I feel like it's a trap. Like, like, I don't know. It's just like, oh, I have yeah, to call myself right. gay or I have to call myself this. And it's just like, after a while, it's like, who gives a <laughs> yeah, it's Yeah, it's so true. And I mean, this is kind of where, this is where I come from as well as a, as a place of, for someone who has been asked constantly since I was a small child, are you a boy or a girl? And never having the language to to like answer that question that felt right. authentic to me until now. Um, you know, it, I, I come from a place of like, why does it matter? Why are you asking me like what, I mean, basically they're asking me what genitals I have in right. some aspects. And I'm like, why does it matter? Why does right. it matter if I'm a boy or a girl? The same thing. Like, and it, and I guess it, when it comes to a place of like, we have to get to a place of that there are no assumptions made about yeah. us because of what gender we identify as or what color our skin is or like what our sexuality is, um, you know, once we get to that like evolved place, then we can stop having these conversations. But at this point, there are still these assumptions that are made based on like how a person identifies. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's going to take a long time. That's going to take a long time. It's a a manifestation of the human brain. It's the way that it works to identify differences, but it's the actual judgment that we create. We've created exactly. the definition and therefore the judgment. Yeah. 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 And I mean, it's tough too, though, because, you know, as humans, we do want to be individuals and we do want to have community and groups right. that we like fit into. And so there is still a significant value with these identities um, because it brings together that kind of community of like, oh, hey, we, we have some things in common. Right. Um, and so you, you, you are a safe person. You are my friend. And this is like, just like, I mean, it's how we evolved, right. Is right. to create that community, safe community around us based on things that are similar between us. Yeah. And you had mentioned earlier, so I, you know, it brings me to this question, you know, like, why do you have to be asked, you know, if you're a boy or girl, tell me how this kind of comes about, like how old were you when you kind of like, first of all, how did you feel? Right. First of all, you're born, you're born Rachel McBride in a, in a physical manifestation of a, a female body. Mm-hmm. You're growing up in the society where a lot is pinned on sex, right? Even our stupid mm-hmm. gender reveal cakes. It's like, oh, it's going to be a boy. It's oh be, right? my like, God, you know, don't even get me started <laughs> on gender reveal. But I mean, there's don't a lot of care. stuff pinned on this sex, right? Like, oh, yeah. you know, and so there you are. You're born, you're born, you're, you're in a female body. How does that kind of like... How does that conversation transpire? What what do you believe was the catalyst of people even bothering to ask you that question, right? Because I never got asked that question. 
right? right. Is it because I wore a dress or something or I wear shoes? Like what, how, how, nobody asked me that, right? So, so somebody asks you this question, but how old were you when you started to feel like, hey, maybe, maybe I'm not that or I'm not that? Like how, how old were you? And, and, and what, tell, bring me through that for a second. Yeah. I mean, my first recollection of struggling with like with gender was when I was about five years old. And I actually asked my, I asked my mom to get my ears pierced so that people would stop calling me a a boy. And it was like, you know, at that point it felt like, yeah, I mean, that's, that's basically my first recollection of like, okay, I look different. Like I'm presenting differently, sort of naturally. Um, I was not, I was like very naturally androgynous. Um, as like a lot of kids are, you know, it's like, I I cut, I got my hair cut short, um, cause I wanted it like that. And, uh, and I guess, yeah, looked quite androgynous. And if I look at pictures of myself too, as like, a um, as a kid, it's, it's pretty incredible. Like it's actually really, really cool to see. It's like, wow, I was super androgynous and that's really cool. Like right now, I think it's really cool. Um, back then I definitely struggled. And so it was like, I wanted to get my ears pierced, but at the same time it was because like, I didn't, I think in a lot of ways, if I had had, if I had understood there was an option other than like boy or girl, then I probably would have migrated towards that. Um, and, uh, And so then it was just, you know, basically growing up and always just feeling odd, never really feeling like I super fit in with like, with my, you know, uh, female bodied friends and, um, yeah, just always feeling a little bit different, uh, and not being able to have the language to explain that. And then as I became a young adult and in, into my teens and in uh, 20s, still getting, uh, you know, called sir and that sort of thing. And I was until I finally like started to understand that there was a spectrum. And it was when I went to university that I like got in with a crowd that was like, you know, way more open minded and had um, and started learning like, yeah, basically that there was a gender spectrum that I was like, oh my goodness. And immediately grasped onto that immediate was like, like, was like, yes, I, I definitely feel like I'm in this like gender queer box, but I didn't, uh, I didn't like, I didn't have the courage at the time to really like, to really be in it. Like embrace really it, right? Embrace it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And then and then of course when I got into sport, like sport is so incredibly binary. And so it really kind of like took that identification a step back because like I had to fit in a box. I had to go and 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 it really then highlighted to me that like discomfort. Like, you know, I talk about showing up at a start line for the past 10 years and just like, I'm like, why, why don't I like, why don't I feel right here? Like, why don't I feel like I fit in? I just, I feel weird. Um, and yeah, it's only, you know, been in the past couple of years of like finally being like, Oh, it's because I am non-binary 
And it's like all this, all these puzzle pieces just like clicked into place. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, let me ask you this. So you just mentioned it. Sports are very binary, right? Most of them have a segregated girls team, boys team, right? How does the Ironman work? And what do you actually feel about the arguments made against um, certain people participating as certain sexes, right? Like if you're a, a runner and mm-hmm. you are born male but identify as female and you want to run against the women, um, there are arguments that you're just physically built differently, hormonally, mm-hmm. muscle, all of that, and that it wouldn't be fair. So so talk to me about that. First, tell me about how Ironman works and then tell me your thoughts on, on those types of arguments being made in, in professional sports. Sure. I mean, right now, so Ironman, um, basically as a, as far as I know, um, I don't know a whole lot about the amateur world of Ironman. And so I would hope that Ironman is following in the footsteps of a lot of other, um, triathlon organizations in that for amateur sport, it is what you identify with, um, that you, you can race in that category for the, professional category it does fall under um like international federation rules which means that um gosh you know i'm i'm not a i'm not a super expert in terms of like trans um uh, policies in ironman uh, but i know like through the international olympic committee for example you have to they use testosterone or androgen levels as a as a measure of like, what is male, quote unquote, male and female. Um, you know, I do feel like in a professional level that there does, that there does have to be, uh, some, some way to divide into categories, how that it is, how that is done. I don't think we have enough information to be able to define exactly what like male and female is. I don't think that testosterone is the full picture. Um, and yeah, I, I am definitely not an expert in this, um, but I think there's a lot more information that we need and a lot more research that we need to be done. What we do know at this point is that there are like trans folks are not taking over sport, right? They're not there. As far as we know, there has never been a trans woman at the Olympics. Um, <clears throat> and so I think though there's a distinction in amateur sport in that amateur sport is about participation. Ultimately people are not making money off. Like they're not, this is not how they make their living in in most cases. And I think that, that it is, that it should be, if you identify whatever you identify, it should be no questions asked. You can race in whatever category. And, you know, the, you have these like, myths of of men dressing up as women and going and competing in the women's category to dominate and it's just ridiculous first of all it's never happened and it's like the at this point the stigma around being a trans woman is way greater like the you know the the discrimination and how hard life is as a trans woman is way more challenging than like some you know there's no motivation for someone to do that just to like, you know, yeah, yeah, mess with the system. So take a look, like taking a look back, you know, how you grew up, 
the sort of perspective and the questions that you might have faced about your sex and how you identify. And now that you're older, looking back at that time, you know, can you see how your mindset has changed, if at all, or how that even impacted how you might view the world today? Like you mean, um, like like my my understanding of gender, like then versus now. Yeah, I mean, like you had a sort of revelation in college, right? You finally found your mm. tribe, so to speak, right? You finally connected. You kind of vibed. You find finally like, okay, I, I get it now. Like I, I have a place, right? Mm-hmm. And so that epiphany obviously is going to change your your mindset, your emotional, you know, aspect, like how you're viewing things now from that point on. They're going to be viewed mm-hmm. differently. In fact, mm-hmm. so much so that when you go into triathlon, triathlons, you know, and you have to put yourself in a box and you have to line up in a certain way, you're kind of now seeing it again, right? You're kind of like taking that step back. Well, if you hadn't found those people in college, right? Like, like other people that you could identify with, you probably would have had the same feelings, emotions, perspective that you had when you were like five, right? Like just feeling out. So like, so it's kind of like feeling out, feeling in, getting pushed back out. Right. So taking that, like, you know, like, so taking that adult perspective and bringing it back to five-year-old you, like, can you, do you see like how that impacted you or how, how has it impacted you and how does that play out now in your everyday life? Like, what are you doing? Coming to, coming to this place, it has made me, because it is a thing that I have to think about and I have to, and I, and like, I'm kind of confronted with every day of like checking, having to choose a box. Um, it's, it's really made me aware of gendered language and where we use gendered language and where, where there are these spaces where someone who is not in the binary would feel really uncomfortable and I mean, a big thing there, of course, there's like the, this, a lot of talk around bathrooms and because like bathrooms are at this point, super binary. And it's like, I have had experiences of going into, thankfully, like, I feel like my experiences are a lot more uh, subdued than some people who have been like attacked going into bathrooms that people feel like they shouldn't be in because they present different like differently um but I've definitely been like looked at funny I have people have like walked in and walked out to make sure that they're in the right bathroom um and I that used to really piss me off and now I'm just like I don't care I'm just like hopefully I'm hopefully I'm changing your perspective and like what people you know should and shouldn't look like in in this bathroom um and, and just like recognize, like being really hyper aware of gendered language when people are talking in groups. So, you know, being, if coming up to a group and saying like, Hey ladies, or Hey gentlemen, it's like, how do you know everybody in there identifies as a lady yeah. or a gentleman? It's like, I even had a, you know, a, a, at the pool, um, the other day I had a gentleman, there were two of us swimming together. And this third, third gentleman was like, Oh, you ladies are really swimming fast. And <laughs> I was like, thanks. <laughs> Who are you talking to? And it's like, what do I say? Like, it makes it like, it really others me in that. And I, and I'm like, well, what do I say? That's a really just like, you know, off the cuff remark. Do I, 
do I challenge this person and be like, Hey, I don't actually identify as a lady. Um, or do I just let it slide? And it's what like, what do you do? Um, depends on, well, the I would, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it totally. I mean, for me, I feel like I'm still gathering the courage and the energy to have those conversations. I think that it's really important because, um, because I don't want to let it slide. I don't want these things to just to go unnoticed. And I know the significant impact that it has made for me to start looking at like gendered spaces and like why they are the way they are. Um, or, and you know, yeah, it's just like really changed my perspective. And I would hope that I could maybe change the perspective of other folks who would be like, oh, okay, I, I get it. You know, just like our, you know, if we think about kids who are growing up these days, like the kids who are, you know, the generations now going through, you know, elementary school are learning all about the gender spectrum and learning all about pronouns and like how not to judge people based on how they look and to ask people how they identify. And they may have classmates that identify as non-binary. I had a mom reach out to me recently for, who has a seven-year-old child that is uh, that identifies as non-binary. And I'm like, this is incredible. Like, like how much of an impact would that have made in my life if I had been able to hold that space and, uh, you know, explain, ex- explore with my gender and not be stuck in these boxes. Yeah, that's awesome. So I'm going to ask you questions that I know listeners are going to have the, the question. So you talked about yeah. bathrooms. So we got to ask, <laughs> how do you choose which one to go into? <laughs> um, I mean, I, to be honest, probably if I see a long lineup in one bathroom, I'll probably go to the other bathroom. That's cheating. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really, I will generally go in the female bathroom. Um, and if there is like a universal option, then I will often take that. And yeah, I mean, if I, if I feel comfortable enough and, and like I said, if, if there's a lineup, in one bathroom, then I'll go in the other. I don't, I don't really think about it. And I have confidence going into either. Either one. Yeah. 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 Okay. So relationships as a non-binary individual, are you attracted to any specific sex? Well, I mean, that's a great question. So, you know, gender is super different than sexuality like how I identify is really different than who I want to have sex with and who I'm attracted to. Um, and for me personally, I identify as pansexual. So it is, uh, basically I am attracted to people of all genders. I don't really discriminate. It's really like, I don't, I don't care what your genitals are. It's really who you are as a person. I love it. I love it. Yeah. My daughter always asks me these questions. I'm like, I'm attracted to people's energy. I'm like, that's yeah. really the truth. Like, yeah. you know, I'm like, I'm like, I never knew what this pansexual thing was. And she's like, are you pansexual? I'm like, I don't think so because I've never actually tried to date a woman or someone with a female body parts, but I could, I like, I don't know that I'd discriminate either. If I met someone and their energy was like freaking amazing. And for some reason I was attracted to it. I don't think I would care, you know? Yeah. I was yeah, like, yeah. So she actually had to explain that one to me because I didn't even know that was out there. 
<laughs> but so on your website, one of the websites you have, um, I think it's a bit of an older one, Inner Voice. You you have this. Oh uh, yeah, the okay. blog, yeah, it's a blog post. Yeah, we did we did research. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> that's a really good blog post. Yeah, yeah if you're gonna find one, that's a really great one. <laughs> okay, well we'll put the link to it. Um, on there you have a quote: "Suffering is not infinite. Life is a glorious, intense, heartbreaking roller coaster." where every moment has a lesson. Every moment has something positive to take take from it, no matter how painful or euphoric. It is, it's just a matter of being open to recognizing that lesson. Love that quote. Um, yeah. So I have a question for you, and that is, yeah. what's been your biggest, most intense, heartbreaking turn on your roller coaster to date? And what was the positive lesson that you took from it? Oh gosh, this is an intense question. <laughs> hot seat, babes. Hot seat. My, you just asked my biggest heartbreak. Oh gosh. Okay. Um. Um. You know, I'll be super. I'll be super honest with you. Is that my biggest heartbreak to date? Um has been recognizing that that just because it's it has to do with relationships and then and the idea that just because two people may love each other so incredibly much mm-hmm. that they're not necessarily meant to be together in mm. a relationship and that's something that I've really struggled with a lot recently um, for a recent breakup and um, yeah, it just really like rocked me to my core because I, I really struggled with like, like, I don't understand. Like we love, like we, there's nothing wrong with like, like we love each other. We love each other so much, but there's just something that's not working. And there are just some like fundamental things that just aren't working and I, and probably won't ever be able to work at least at this point. And so it, and that was, you know, it was my therapist who actually said this to me of like, just because two people love each other doesn't mean that they're meant to be together. And that was actually really grounding for me. It was really like validating in, you know, okay, I'm having these super intense feelings and it doesn't, doesn't make sense, but like, this makes sense. It kind of allowed me permission just to be like, okay, this is, this is why it's not, this is why there's such turmoil right now. Wow. Thank you for that. That's really honest. Thank you. Um, Help us all out, help all the listeners out. One thing that you helped us out with is, you know, talking about how you have become super aware and not entering a conversation or a group of people and just making assumptions and, you know, that type of thing. But what are some of the things that we can do? Um, you know, what, what, what should we learn? No, speak something that we can do to improve and ensure that, you know, we don't discriminate intentionally or unintentionally against others. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. Um, gosh, there's, there's so much really, I think, like I said, one of the biggest things is like starting to just look at, like pay attention to where you see gendered spaces and gendered language and once you start to recognize, like, and, and in, within that, the, con- the concept of being curious about people. So, 
I really now recognize, like, if I look at someone and I make an assumption of, like, what their pronouns might be or how they identify, then I'm like, oh, wait a minute, I'm making that assumption. I Maybe I should ask that person what their pronouns are or how they identify. And it's actually been really cool. I have a, a little niece and nephew who are five and seven. And, like, I being with them has allowed me to, to like have those conversations too of like seeing them make assumptions. And like, then we can have this like conversation around like, well, how do you know that's a girl? Have you, did you ask them if they were a girl? Did you ask them, um, uh, what their pronouns were? And, um, uh, so, I mean, that's one thing. I think another is like presenting, with like stating your own pronouns when you're being introduced, when you're introducing yourself or like if you are on a video chat of putting your pronouns in your name uh, on zoom, that kind of thing to make it. I think there's a big debate around whether that like people should be doing that or not, but I think it's really helpful because it normalizes it, it. It normalizes like not making assumptions about pronouns and, um, presenting, like, you know, basically presenting them. Um, That's interesting. And, yeah. <laughs> I take, as you know, because I, I, I do a lot on LinkedIn. And so I take a different perspective because all of a sudden I'm getting blown up with he, she, her. Right? And I'm just like, I'm like, I don't care. Stop. <laughs> like, well, yeah, I mean, that's we'll the talk. other thing. It's like, oh, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> right? I'm like, I'm like oh. <laughs> because yeah, then, yeah. that makes me think like, well, because you know what? I actually come from a different place too. Because as an attorney, mm-hmm. I also feel like, well, is someone going to then discriminate against you? Right? Because it's like, okay, so if you, you know, identify as something other than I'm in a female body and I'm a girl and I'm, you know, in a male mm-hmm. body and I'm a boy, does that set you up for discrimination? Right? And does mm-hmm. that really matter mm-hmm. though? Because if they discriminate and don't talk to right. you more, the better. But when we're talking about you're <laughs> applying for a job or if you're like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, like yeah. all these other things. And so I think just c- from my legal background, that kind of pops up into the back of my head. It's like, it's like one, I don't really care. It's kind of like getting annoying because it's all thrown in my face. I'm just like, all right, all right. I don't care what you, like, I don't care. But then the other part of me is like, well, is somebody going to use that against you? And I don't mm-hmm. like that. Right. So it's kind of like, you know, cause yeah, it's all, it's all fun and games. If it's like, I'm a girl in a girl body and I identify as she, but when I don't, how is that being used? Right. Right. Who's targeting me? How are they denying me? How are they prejudging me based on that? Right. So, so I think part of that kind of plays to my head and that's really like on LinkedIn because I've been seeing a lot on LinkedIn and I'm just like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But, and I would counter that with like, why would I want to work for someone who is like going to not respect who I am and my identity? Um, Like I don't want to go into a workplace and and then all of a sudden realize that like, they're not going to recognize my pronouns as they, them. Right. And they're going to be like, Oh, what, wh- who the heck are you? Like, what are you? <laughs> like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to work in that kind of environment, you know, right. <laughs> so maybe it weeds out. Those yeah, jerks. that's true. That's true too. Uh, um, all right. Awesome. So, so that's great. Um, anything that you want to leave our listeners with as a kind of, last, last statement, last thing, last thought that maybe we could take away? Um, I mean, my big thing is, is like, is just to be curious about people 
and to have an open mind. I think that what feels like is happening right now in North America is that it it's a we're becoming so divided and so further and further apart in our lo- our like tolerance levels and understanding of each other. And social media is playing such an incredible role in that. And I think that um, it's really, you know, just in general to be curious about each other and to, to just talk to people about their feelings and like what, who, who they are and why they are the way they are and why they believe what they believe. Um, and just trying to have like rational conversations. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's the answer to everything is to have those conflicting conversations, those hard conversations. Yeah. Um, You know, it's one of the things that we teach in business, in businesses, for teams. Mm -hmm. Um, If there's not enough trust that you can have an open forum where there aren't going to be repercussions and you can just raise your thoughts, your ideas, your arguments, no matter how Mm -hmm. heated it gets, that's how we get to the settlement place. That's how Mm -hmm. we get to come to the agreement. That's how we get to move the fuck on, right? right. Like get shit done, yeah. move the fuck on. Um, yeah. And so, so that's interesting. I, I, I personally think that's part of, um, and this isn't like a political statement, but I think it's part of Trump's big stand is that he has a big voice. He has a quote opinion in a country where all of a sudden having an opinion and voicing it, maybe, maybe that's not so good. Maybe we have to be yeah. always be in the middle language. Well, that never resolved the conflict, right? Let us, Mm-hmm. petting it and saying oh that's cool that never resolved the conflict um mm-hmm. you know and so so that's part of why i think a lot of people back him um it's just he's got the mouth he he's got the no he's gonna say like what he wants to say and he doesn't really care and i think a lot of people gravitated towards that because we've had decades at least in this country of you know sweeping it under the rug even though it's there and we're all feisty about it behind the scenes but not being able to talk about it for some reason mm-hmm. um yeah. So that's awesome. So I love that. Be curious, have an open mind. Um, all right, Rach. It's yeah. been amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kristen. It's great to talk to you. So that is it for this week. Thank you for joining me. And I hope that you enjoyed today's show. If so, don't forget to rate it. If you guys have a pressing question, feel free to tweet me at CS Thrive uh, or on Instagram at Thrive Tribe 3.14159. Again, I know that's a weird one. It's just pie. So it's three, it's thrive underscore tribe underscore 3.14159. Or of course you can join me in Facebook at my free group, which is Thrive Tribe Global. If you just search groups and you enter in Thrive Tribe Global, you should see us there um, and you can join it for free. Uh, I answer your questions in there, but if you guys send me a question through there, I will be sure to answer it here on this podcast. And as always, if you're ever interested in advertising on the show, please contact the Believe Network at Believe, B-L-E-A-V at Believe.com. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.